Nowadays, introducing the original Blood Clad Podcast, not BS. Told in semantic. Special dedication, all the way from New York. Boom! Yeah, man, SWOT semantic. Yeah, man, oh. Boom! Sued in semantic. Yeah, man, Big up to the man, yeah. Sued in semantic. Another episode of Soothing Semantics. We have another New Yorker, the 270th New Yorker on my podcast. And we haven't even done 270 episodes, but here we are. I am your host, Rafi Pinsky, and today we have Eitan. What's up, dude? Hey, what's up, man? How are you? How's everything? Doing? I'm doing fantastically. That's great. So, uh, Eitan is another New Yorker who's contemplating the move over here to Florida. <laughs> and uh, he has quite an interesting story to tell us. Mm-hmm. He is a nurse and also has a restaurant that uh, he's, ha- his, he's had to figure out a way to adapt with COVID and uh, thank God he's been able to do so. So without further ado, Broski. Yeah, you have a Um So yeah, so COVID, I mean, like, don't want to get too into it. I'm sure everyone, you know, has their own idea of how COVID has been this past year. But for one thing, you know, being someone that's in the restaurant business, it was probably, it's, it, it, it is, it was and is still a huge trauma. Um, as you can see right now, as we're doing this, you know, NYC restaurants are closed, you know, so um, once the pandemic hit, everyone was in shock. We weren't really sure, you know, what's going on with the business, what's next. We had to close down, we closed down for two weeks peacefully, and we said, okay, we'll figure out what happens then, you know, the whole stay at home, and then we'll get back to normal. But clearly, we never got back to normal. So for us, it was very difficult. I was trying to think, okay, what is the next move? You know, what can we do? You know, the, the business is definitely going to sink really fast. There's a lot of overhead, a lot of expenses. And, and, you know, being a business that had two different venues, one of them was strictly for parties, one of them was strictly for takeout, no matter how much takeout we'd have to pump in, we'd still have that second spot that's just empty, you know, with nothing to do. So we thought about the next thing. So, you know, I came up one day to my parents. Um, and at the time, I got offered, I was still a student at Columbia, you know, finishing up my nursing program. And they said, hey, you know, we're doing internships for the students. You guys can go. You can work in these COVID units. You're not going to be near any patients. But at the time, you know, they didn't really know if we could be near any patients or not, you know, that have COVID. Because as you know, all the hospitals, if anybody was there, they all had it. The majority of the patients had it, especially during that peak March, April time in, in New York. It was really intense. Being someone who, you know, had a wife that was pregnant, I didn't want to take the risk. So I took a step back and I said, okay, um, this is not for me and uh, I can't do this right now. You know, I'm going to go through the program like I'm supposed to uh, and help my parents get through this pandemic, you know. So then one day I'm on Facebook scrolling and I see this, you know, Jewish worker. She's like, Jewish healthcare worker. She's a nurse. Her name was Emily. She was saying how, oh, you know, we're five nurses at at Long Island Jewish Medical Center and we have no, like, access to kosher food. It's very difficult for us to get kosher food, you know. And I started thinking like, okay, you know, I have a kosher restaurant, like we have a family business. Why don't we, you know, provide meals to these kosher healthcare workers? But instead of just doing it for the kosher ones, let's just do it for everyone. You know, if we're, why, why go all the way there and bring it to the five healthcare workers that are keeping kosher? We could just bring it for, to the whole unit, you know, and get everyone involved. And that's when we launched, we launched, it, we launched a campaign called Feed the Front Lines uh, on behalf of the restaurant. And at first, you know, we, we went to, uh, it was extensive. We, we did everything from feeding them to providing masks to providing PPE, anything that we can do uh, to help these hospitals out, you know, because we knew if as a business, if we ended up burning out, dying out, at least we did what we could to contribute back into the community and leave our mark, you know. And that's where it all set off. That's kind of like, you know, how we started dealing with this whole pandemic as a business. 
and then as we know, you know, I mean, you know, you know, after feeding 2,000 heroes, providing over like 400 PPEs, you know, from on behalf of our restaurant, it, we were thinking, what's the next move? Because in the end of the day, the pandemic was still going on. We still needed a way to operate, you know, and all the things we were doing for Alcatraz Heroes was nice, but as, still as a business, we had to, nothing was changing. You know, the rules weren't getting any better. Outdoor dining became very impossible. They had so many regulations. You had to get permits. You had to get this. Indoor dining, they kept trying to get it to work. It wasn't working. You know, so we kind of tried to move on and try to see, okay, what's the next thing we can do? So we started to do takeout. We started to go to different areas. We started to go to Jersey. We started to go to Long Island. We started to go, and we're based in Queens, you know, so we started to travel everywhere to kind of figure out, okay, these people have heard of our food. Let's go serve it there. These people have heard of our food. Let's go serve it there. And slowly, that's how we've been getting traction back into the brand and traction back into the company and, and being able, you know, to, to get those revenues going like we had pre-COVID times, you know, just kind of adapting and seeing, okay, you know, how do we get people to still enjoy our food even though they can't be coming here anymore. Pardon me. Yeah. You're going to keep coming. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's just, um, it's a really difficult time and I feel like it's, it really is an adapter die mentality. Um, Absolutely especially in the restaurant business, you know, I have a lot of friends, like, we, we all went through this, we all went through trying to help out their heroes, we all went through, like, um, trying to find different ways, you know, to, to not only, you know, have the community look out for us, but also look out for them. You know, a lot of people lost homes, a lot of people, you know, had trouble feeding um, their families, a lot of, a lot of ourselves, not just ourselves, not, a, not just, like, my family and I, Ganioli, but a lot of people, they went out of their way, they try to help these uh, families, they try to help, you know, each other and the healthcare workers and whatever it may be. And it was really, really a, a great, great show of unity. But I feel like now that, you know, we're in the month that we are and, and seeing how things are, I feel like, you know, the restaurants really did get left out in all of this, you know. They really are struggling. And, you know, how you said in the beginning, I guess that's what's making all of us think about, okay, why don't we take our concepts, take our businesses and come here to Florida? Restaurants, thankfully, in Florida are still able to have this indoor dining, and if you can bring your restaurant to Florida, I mean, it'll be a hell of a lot easier. That's my opinion, because you can do both. Yeah. You won't be limited to only doing the deliveries mm -hmm. and then bringing that to the nurses and hospitals. Uh, it's just, you know, if, uh, another thing I was thinking about is, were you, do you feel confident that you may be able, be able to open up another location even? If you're staying in New York, oh, yeah, that's that's that, that's like the back and forth debate, you know, because like a lot a lot of us, like I have one friend who even expanded in New York. He bought a, a, a different business, you know, and then they now it's like we're all stuck because we we have the potential for sure in the sense of like we know what our businesses are capable. of, We know now what the customers want to see, especially during a pandemic where it's literally like you give it a hundred percent or you give nothing at all. That means your quality has to be on point, your food has to be on point, everything has to be on point, or it's not working out for you because nobody's gonna sit there and now during a time where it's kind of hard for them to go eat out, is gonna go in and eat out and pay, you know, for something that's not top tier or something that they really, really enjoy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, but the thing is, it's very difficult because I feel like restaurant business everywhere is struggling. You can't necessarily say that if you come to Florida, things will be easy, you know, because there are businesses here who still are seeing a huge downfall. Oh, 100%. You know what I'm I mean? not saying easy, I think it'll be easier. Oh, yeah, yeah. Then again, I'm not in the restaurant business, I can't say. It's just my speculation. Yeah, so it's, it's definitely something that's on a lot of our minds, but then again, you come here and a lot of these restaurants, like some of these places are empty, you can just grab them and you know get to, get them, get to moving, get to working. Some of these places are not, and you know there's a lot of money being involved. They keep thinking like people from New York are coming here desperately, and I don't think it's necessarily true. Like We have things pretty bad there, but not to the point where we're like, okay, 
I'm willing to pay this much to come to Florida. Like, no. You know, we're all thinking about moving and we're all doing it in a very uh, strategic way because in the end of the day, you, you don't want to, you know, take a big bite of a cake here and not, and, you know, and in the end not have it not have it pay off because you don't know, things can change, laws can change, people can change, society can change. Maybe some people don't like the governor here, how he's been managing things, and maybe mm -hmm. some people do. So mm -hmm. depending on obviously time and all that, you know, you can't necessarily, it's not guaranteed the best move, but it is something truly, truly, I think a lot of New York businesses are considering because it's like becoming relentless to work there. Tourism's down, everything's down, people are moving out left and right, you know, I think we're even losing a congressional seat now, that's the recent news because of the fact that our population went down so much. Do you have Do you have an idea of what it's down by, right? Oh, I'm curious like, to look. There's, there's, please check it because I, there's so many people that moved out. Can you imagine that you actually have to lose how, a congressional seat? How many people? I'm gonna I'm gonna search how many people. How many people have left New York since the pandemic? More than three hundred thousand New Yorkers have bailed from the Big Apple in the last eight months. Yep, and and just put that into perspective. City residents filed two hundred ninety-five thousand one hundred three change of address requests for March 1st or October 31st. That's October 31st. So right now we're, we're almost in, in January. So I'm sure that's, there's several thousand who moved since then. Mm -hmm. Which means far more than 300,000 New Yorkers fled the five boroughs. Exactly. So just put that into perspective. That's 300,000 less people. That's 300,000 less like, kind of support that you have in that's the That's also, and, and not only that, but I think a lot of those 300,000, if I were to speculate, I don't want to throw facts out there, there's most likely what's been called, what uh, is known as a brain drain, which means that a lot of the, I don't, I don't want to say more intelligent, but let's be honest here, people, a lot of wealthy business owners are the ones who tend to make these moves. When they see that, you, for instance, Goldman Sachs, uh, then there are companies in uh, Silicon Valley who are now moving. Mm -hmm. So those are companies that are bringing cumulatively millions of jobs to people in, in those cities or states. If they're leaving, the, the time it'll take them make that up, if you can ever make, make it up, up, exactly. Well, I mean, it could be decades. Exactly, and, and so, it's and it's like the next thing is now everyone's thinking, okay, New York had this experience through COVID. What's next? How long are we gonna? Because look, like you said, all these big companies are leaving. They're all going to the south, either Florida and and Texas is getting pretty booming. Texas as well. also. Texas is very booming as well. Also, also recently, the market is ridiculous. You know what else is doing well? Uh, Tennessee, a lot of people. Yeah, of course, Tennessee is doing very well. Nashville, yeah. Nash, yeah, natural definitely, and I think that that's gonna probably spread over to Memphis too in time. You know, like it's crazy how much the South is really, really like shining right now, mm -hmm. and it's because of the fact that these business owners, and listen, not even just business owners, I think people too eventually will also get tired because they'll see that the lack of jobs and lack of work will make it inevitably, inevitably difficult for them to live there. Mm -hmm. All right, most of the people in New York are, are working their chip paycheck to paycheck. That's like a known fact. Right. You take that ability away, which for most people this has already happened, and what did they have left? Where are they going to go? So obviously they're looking already to other states, other societies where they can still get that job. Yeah, they'll be less paid, but at least they're not worrying about paying so much for, you know. Manhattan is completely empty now, but people are literally getting offered. Been, by the way, I haven't been to Manhattan. I, have I been there? I've been there since COVID, but I was there for maybe a day. Empty. It's empty. It's empty. Like, it's like, like people want to see. There's no traffic. Is there traffic there? No, you still get like the general car traffic, but it's not like not like before. The city used to be booming. It used to come in every any day of the week. It was booming on a Sunday. Even it used to be packed. Not as much anymore. You know, because people are off. People used to be outside. People used to be hanging out. Not as much anymore. Um, it's to the point that they're actually most buildings are offering you anywhere from three to six months rent free. 
you know, just to have some occupancy, just to know that some money is coming into the building for that unit that's been empty for God knows how long. Yeah, it's it's become a really big, um, like even like even in being someone that's in real estate, you know, just imagine you have all these buildings, you have all these you know properties going on, and then like boom, they're empty. Yeah, you need something. It's better to get something. six months than nothing. And now it's scary because now it's like I think this is gonna just uh, make us have excess housing, you know, and completely destroy the value of New York overall as far as like how our housing market is. The big houses, the nice houses, the whatever, whether you're in a little bit of townhouse, apartment, whether it's in Midtown, I think none of that's going to matter soon. I think all of, them are, all, all of New York is just going to be in an equilibrium level of this is how much it costs to live and that's it, you know. Yeah, it's really hard to say. I do think overall, though, suburbia is becoming the new ideal. I think people are in, less interested in this urban living because most people are working remotely, so they say, hey, if I'm working from home anyway, I'd rather have more space. So things are changing, and in a sense, that I think that's a positive. But it depends on what people want. There are still you can still live in a city. My, I mean, Miami's going to be forget it, dude. Like <laughs> it's a plus, but I, I don't know, man. The next couple of years, there's going to be I don't know how people are going to get around here. Yeah. There's no subway. Yeah. The traffic here is already insane. Insane. And I, I was even telling my wife when we were just driving around, I'm like, oh, Florida traffic has picked up. Like, there's more cars here than before, and you can you automatically see the difference. You automatically see the difference, and. Listen, a lot, a lot of that traffic is from the north. A mm -hmm. lot of that traffic is from the north because they're, people are tired. Yeah. People are genuinely tired of the lifestyle being presented to them there. And listen, like you, with the point you just made, people are really into the suburban lifestyle. I spoke to a real estate agent and I was telling him, hey, how's it going in the city? You know, a lot of my family members, they used to obsess over living in fresh meadows, Jamaica states, you know, forest hills, buying houses there. They're all selling 10% below. He's like, they're selling about 10% below asking. Anyone who wants to move, they're, they're not getting their money's worth. Anybody that's moving to Long Island in five times, which my parents moved three years ago, I used to tell them, why are we moving? I don't want to live in Long Island. I was crazy about it. I love it. I was a city boy. And now I'm like so thankful because I'm like, everybody's trying to come to our area. Everyone's trying to move there. All the houses are selling 10% above. People that bought their homes about four or five years ago for like 600 grand are selling it for a million. Small yeah. touch-ups are it. Yeah. Yeah. Because the lifestyle is different. The schools right. over there were, are booming. Mm -hmm. um, and like, it's basically the closest you can get to being in the city without being in the city. Right, right. You know, and um, that's, you know, so when we talk about expanding in New York, you know, when we talk about expanding the Ghanaian brand in New York, we think about going to Long Island. You know, we personally live in five towns. We would love to have something five minutes away. We were going to work five minutes away instead of shopping all the way to Queens, 40 minutes away, oh, and plus indoors closed. You know? That's what, by the way, that's what fucking really aggravates me about this whole indoor dining bullshit. It's... It's mind-boggling because even here, you have to wear a mask when you're when you walk in. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you walk away from the major D or, or you just you're away from the front door, no problem. Take the mask off. Mm -hmm. It's either fine or it's not. It's fine or it's not. And the same thing with planes. Everybody mentioned this. A domestic flight, you could take the mask off if you're eating. Is it? Are we in a pandemic or are we not? I was just on the just flight just here, and it was the worst stupid. experience. So first of all, they removed all the middle seats. So anyone that wants to fly, that's it. You don't get that middle seat empty anymore. Um, yeah. And I think starting January, February, all the airlines are going to be more occupant, like more going to be. But so the middle, the middle seat is okay in the cinema. Yeah, middle seat's okay. Sit. The plane was packed. Plane well, was I packed. But hold on, I, what's with the social distance on planes? It doesn't apply. The thing. So they say no, no. So apparently, the whole talk is maintain social distancing, and if you cannot maintain social distancing, that is when you wear a mask. So because every, so because we're sitting in the middle seats, but it not used there, to be social distancing and a mask. Yeah, but then they say that because they have the HIPAA filters, the ninety-nine point whatever the hospital grade filters, that makes it okay. 
So why doesn't this? Why doesn't the government help us? Why doesn't the government say? I mean, why don't they? Why don't they give sanctions? I mean, I'm sorry. Why don't they give um, money or to, like funding towards restaurants getting the same filters since these filters are okay? We're not gonna. No restaurant is gonna but dish out. The restaurant isn't making them the money like the airlines are. What are the airlines don't even profit, man? The no. airlines margins are so tight. I really like genuinely. I don't know what's in it for the government as far as that. Yeah, travel is a big deal and all that, but then they. No yeah, restaurants. It's the byproduct of. I think it's just the byproduct of what of what airlines bring to the state or to the country. Yeah, but in the tourism. Day, I don't know, but now the tourism. Right, is dead you anyway. have no idea, and I'm telling you, most people are not feeling it yet. When you're when this shit calms down, and you think about going to your favorite restaurant, it won't be there anymore. Right. You know. Well, to be quite honest, I'm not a big restaurant. You no, know, I mean, but a lot of people love going out. A lot of people love going out. Yeah, yeah. Even right now with COVID, a lot of people are, are dreading for that moment where they can mm -hmm. be back in a restaurant. You know, and without the proper support in place, you know, if not by the people, because you can't expect the people to to take care of everything for you, right? right. But the government has to, you know, there, there has to be some type of way. They, so when they wanted to do indoor dining, they were suggesting we get these filters, right? My man, who's going to pay five to ten grand to put filtration system in their restaurants for 25% occupancy? Nobody. That doesn't make any most, sense. Most of these restaurant owners probably don't even have that kind of money at this point. A hundred percent. They don't because they're in, most of them are back renting with their landlord right now, trying to figure out the next path for them, trying to figure out, am I even going to stay open? There's landlords that are not even... Listen, some of them are really nice. Some of them are saying, hey, you can't handle it. Just pay back what you owe me. Leave. Mm -hmm. And some of them are saying, hey, we have an agreement till this year. Figure it out. Mm -hmm. And that year could be 2025, 20, 26, whatever. You know, some people have 10 years. So what, what do you think is going to happen if, say, 50%, and I feel like that's a low number. What do you think if 50% of the restaurants in New York, or at least in the city, close down? That's why we have such crazy unemployment. Do you think... Do you think that they're going to say when COVID eventually goes away and we're back to normal? Do you think the restaurant industry is going to change where there's going to be a lot more of a delivery type service where there won't even be a, a, a brick and mortar storefront kind of thing? Yeah. Because I think that's where we're going that's with everything. 100%. So that's the, what I think about expanding, that's the concept I'm going into. I don't think about going brick and mortar completely. I think about dark kitchen. Just have, give me a kitchen, give me 500 square feet, let my three guys work there, go order your takeout delivery, and that's it. Minimize my overhead and minimize my headache. But at the same time, at the same time, there's just something about that dining experience. Yes, yes. There's just something about that dining So yes. I think that in the end, what will end up happening Especially is, with high grade, by the way. If you, exactly. have a, if you have a beautiful, you know, high quality restaurant, you can't do that with delivery. It doesn't build that same reputation. 100%. So we're more, we're more casual Mediterranean, you know, um, Bukhari and Uzbeki food. So South Asian mixture, you know everything. So we're we are able to do. You have to try dining early, bro. Yeah, I'm talking very, very simple. Very, it's very easy for us to deliver. It's not as difficult as these fancier places. I agree with you, you know. So, mm -hmm. but in the end, these fancier places, in a way, there has to be a way to help them stay alive, because there's something about that dining experience, you know. Once you lose that, I just feel like it won't be the same. Right. It won't be the same. How many times can you actually take to go? How many times can you actually have takeout? No, you can, and especially if you're t if you're trying to. Take your, your your girl or wife out on a date. Like, Delicious like, order every time. Like, you have to you have to go out. For what about first dates, man? Like I feel like anybody who's been trying to date post COVID time, it's been pretty like a little bit difficult, you know. And if you don't have the whole indoor dining experience, again, where are you going? Most yeah. of us, our first date is what a dinner, you know. And now, oh wait, a dinner and a movie. But now the movies are also you know closed as well. Wow, you, you do movies in the first time? <laughs> Sometimes depends. I used to. You know, I just used to. <laughs> depends. I'm just used to. I know what the movies mean, bro. I know exactly what depends means. 
so that's what I'm saying. So you know, it's just it's just um, really interesting to see the direction that that's going to go in. It's also interesting to see. You did mention that I did go to nursing school. I did uh, graduate uh, with a master's. You know, it's interesting to see what direction will the nursing profession go in. What direction will healthcare go in? You know, I feel like a lot of the people that I spoke to in healthcare right now they felt very underappreciated. Uh, many of the nurses, they ended up going into something private, doing IVs, doing COVID testing, mm -hmm. doing anything they can to stay away from the hospital system, you know? And so that makes me, that makes me wonder, makes me very worried that in the future, if we do get hit with something that's harder than COVID, are we going to even have the nurses that are going to want to work? They're talking about a strain now in Britain that's supposedly 70 times, what is it, 70 times more potent or something? It's 70 times more transmissible. So meaning, in a sense, if you have it, you're more likely like to transmit it to the next person, so more likely to spread. But then again, it's, you know, um, with COVID, I'm just, I have so many mixed feelings about this, man. It's like, I know it's real. We all know in some ways, like, it, we all know it's real. We all know it had affected somebody, but sometimes it just feels like it's not even there. If you kind of get what I mean. Um, to be, well, dude. You know, like, my, you just want to be in my feeling is that it's no much more dangerous than a lot of these other diseases we've had and yeah. we're blowing it out of proportion and I think that, I've said this on other episodes, I think that there's a lot of people benefit, benefiting from it who want it to, to stay the way it is and ultimately, as controversial as it sounds, people are going to die one way or another. Like, let me explain this, let me go into this because it's very easy to misconstrue what I'm saying. It doesn't mean to throw it all out and say who cares about people's lives. That's not what I'm saying because I haven't lost anyone in my family, mm -hmm. thank God, so it's easy for me to say this. Mm -hmm. And I understand the sensitivity to it. But when COVID is over, there are going to be numerous other diseases and, and other things that will kill people off. People are going to die anyhow. So we're stopping the world economy. And I understand that what people's lives are at stake. I get that. And I don't want people to die. But at what point do we do we allow this to go on? People, if people have no livelihood, they some people will will just won't have anything to live for. In other countries, people have been living this way their entire lives. Now, someone in their forties who spent forty years building a business, all that forty years is down the shitter. Yeah. No, then sure. what? Do you not think some of them are suicidal, dude? Because I guarantee you they are. So. You're, yes, you may be saving some lives, and it's important, but like there's, you can't have it all. Can't so at some point, we may have to make a very difficult decision to say maybe some people will die by opening everything back up again, but at least people will be able to put food on their on their on their table. So we have to we have to come to some sort of a medium, and I think in Florida it, we have that down pretty well. New York, I think they. It, it's over. Like it's gotten scary. They have to open up restaurants again, man. They have to give people their, their lives back. Because if I had, bro, I mean, I think I'm somebody that's more than, I think I'm more adaptive than the average person, to be honest with you. I'm not going to say I'm the most adaptive in this fucking, who knows what. <laughs> I think that, like, realistically, if I had to live on, like, a bed of leaves, I would do it. If I had to do it, I wouldn't, like, it would suck. It would really suck, but... I can adapt pretty damn well. So many don't have that. Many don't have that, and and, and you make a really good point that it, it, it's there's a lot more of uh, there's a lot more of negatives involved as well. Even if like like for example in New York, like you mentioned New York, and one thing I think people don't realize that all the things that we stand for in democracy have literally been killed in New York. 
right. like the whole sense of freedom of movement, freedom of everything, like it's killed. Because look, I have to have what ten people in my house during Thanksgiving. What the hell are you doing? Roll the calls, but the politicians. Though. Yeah, the politicians. It's, it's become such a dictator type of movement mm -hmm. towards the towards the state, and that's really what's like dragging me away from there. Like, oh my god, this is too much. That's what makes me really. Those are the moments that I feel like it's too much, you know. But at the same time, when I when I see a really 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 crowded place with nobody wearing masks, it's like a like a sometimes I see videos of like Florida clubs, you know, and people aren't wearing masks. That also kind of gets me a little bit worried, you know. So I'm, that's where I stand with it. That I do believe that the repercussions are humongous. Like as far as the shutdowns, everything they do play a big toll. But at the same time, it's like everything has its reason. Like a lot of people try to talk to me about like this whole schools closing and you know why are the kids at home? Blah, blah. And I'm with you. The kids shouldn't be at home. But you have to understand that when they're making that decision, they're not thinking about the kids. They're thinking about the adults. Mm -hmm. They're thinking about that teacher that's teaching them. They're thinking about when they come home, are they going to transmit that to their parents? Because mm -hmm. it's you that's weak. It's not your kid. And again, like you said, it's two sides to everything. It's for the kids to be at home is very traumatic. Mm -hmm. School, as much as you know, we kind of grow up hating it, loving yeah, it, whatever yeah, it is, yeah. it's part of us. Right. That whole desire to learn, it's part of that age range. That, that's what gets you moving. You're not trying to stay home with mommy and daddy all day. You want to be out there. You want to socialize. And by keeping them home, you're destroying that. But at the same time, you're thinking, oh, I'm saving those older people that they might see. So again, it's like there's no right and there's no wrong. You know? It's kind of like how do you know what, what, which benefits outweigh the risk? And that's what the problem is. When they made these decisions, they thought about benefits, but they didn't think about risks. The risks are only coming out now. Only now, as more research has passed, as most time passed by, as the lockdowns happen, as things shut down, now they're seeing the repercussions. And even now, we're not even getting a good taste of it, if you think about it, Raf. You know, we got a lot of, we got 2021, 2022, vaccines not all the way out there for those who want to take it, of course, you know what I mean? And then that's what they're seeing is going to give more herd immunity, more comfort to being back to the normal. And we're just going to see more and more people suffering in some type of way, whether it's mentally, emotionally, and... It's scary. It's scary. As you said, like, as we were talking before we started, we said adapt or die. You know, it's such a crucial, important thing for everybody. If your business is not pandemic-proof, you should not be in that business. Mm -hmm. If this hasn't opened your eyes, I'm sorry. I don't know what will. You know, there are so many people that own these big banquets in, in the community, right, with the same food concept. And my dad used to always tell me, I want a banquet zal. I want a bank. I want to be able to serve 100 people. And that's it. Like, no fucks giving. Not have this whole sit-in environment. Not have this whole takeout thing. I want to do that. COVID hit. He's thanking God he didn't do it. Right. He's thanking God because a lot of these people, they have so much overhead and no way to cover it. Right. No way to cover it. So it truly, I think it truly, you know, being, like you said, it has a lot of its plus and minuses. It's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call that regardless, even if this type of adaptation didn't have to happen now, at some point something would have happened that would make us do it later. It, it could have been going. Cool. more with you, dude. Huh? Yeah, dude. It, it's it showed me. Definitely showed me. You have to be. You have to be ready for anything. And when I say ready for anything, it's it's a very broad statement. But you have to be relatively. You know, whatever the case may be, have six months worth of savings. Have a year's worth of savings. If you really, you know. This, could, this pandemic could happen in five years from now. We can have another yeah, one of these things. Exactly. Are we going to, as a, as a, as a nation, this is a, eventually going to blow over. I sure as hell hope so. And if it ain't, let me tell you, I'll, I'll fucking survive it. I'll survive it. If, it. if it doesn't stop till I'm 60, I'll survive it. I don't care. You know what I mean? I'll, something will, something will, something's got to get. Something you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to sit here and mope about it. I can't do anything about it. The only thing I can do is make sure that I'm taken care of and anyone around me. 
my family, God willing, my kids, my wife, all that. Um, and that's really what we can do. You, you see that the government isn't really gonna, gonna do what we need to do. hundred percent, and you know, like, it's crazy because, you know, you think about this whole, like, how we, everyone talks about socialism, that whole platform, you know, of um, giving back, to, giving to the people money, just giving free money left and right, or like, oh, let's do a monthly incentive, give people a thousand dollars a month, you know what I mean? Like, think about it, with the pandemic now, this shit sounds great. This sounds great. I would love free money, but how long is it gonna last? How much do you have to sacrifice to get that $600 stimulus? $600, bro, like what? You just sat home for God knows how many months, you had no job, your kids were at home from school, you had to babysit them, and oh, here you go, six bills. Right, it's nothing. That's nothing, that's pocket change. That's, that's what some people made in one week, and you're giving them to them after how many months of suffering? And again, I'm, I'm not, I really don't want to get into the whole policy matter of this, but it's just, I think personally as a country, it's the most ridiculous thing in the right. world. Action-wise, it's ridiculous. I think that there's so much more that could be done for the people. And again, I'm not all about handouts. I, I think that this proves even more how inefficient, how unreliable, and how much you can't say, oh, government will solve my problems. They won't. No if there's way. any way, no if you ever needed proof Never. in the past, if you ever needed proof in the past that they don't got you, here's your proof. And you just stayed home for how long, and all you got was your, what was it, 1,200 in the beginning, and 600 now, 1,800 for nine months of that's 200 bucks a month. That's 200 bucks a month, my friends. Okay, just, just make sure that's 200 bucks a month that you got. That's not your rent. That's not even food for some of you. It's you know? And that's that's really just, I really am curious to see what's next. You know, especially like I said for the restaurant business, I'm really curious. I do believe that this whole dark kitchen concept will work out. I believe that many large investors will end up buying warehouses. You know, how we have like those markets that have a bunch of restaurants, a bunch of kitchens serving in them. We'll have those type of concepts where it will just be a nice warehouse, four or five kitchens, and you're just serving to go. You're just serving to go in highly, highly centric areas with a large population. Someone opened one of these warehouses in Miami, they got five different food types over there. You can never run out of options. There's five different food types. Are you not going to purchase from there every day? You know what I mean? That's just, it, it's honestly kind of unfortunate if it comes to that. It's going to be the best thing for a for a restaurant owner. That'll be the best thing to do because they can kind of exactly. save. They can they can protect their ass. Exactly. They reduce the their overhead greatly. Yeah. Most of the people that I heard that like Uber's working on this in Europe. This was before COVID actually even hit. They were working on this in Europe mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of restaurants they ended up being very far distance from other places because uh, Uber has like a five ten mile radius. So what they would do, they would open these little dark kitchens. Nobody comes in there. There's no people functionality there. It's only like you have your kitchen and you work and you make food and you have your little tablets telling you what to make and that's it. Mm-hmm. But your overhead is ridiculously low. Most of the so these investors like Uber, for example, they would put money into it. They would already build it for you. All you do is just open up and set up a shop. You pay them a flat rate rent and they don't. For Uber, why was this beneficial? Think about it. Why was this beneficial for them? Because all the people that are going to be in these in these little dark kitchens using their platform. So that's the move that I hear going on in Europe, and I'm surprised not to see it more in America. This should be the next thing that restaurants are looking into, mm-hmm. that investors are looking into. Who, you know, there are certain it investors. Probably will be. You yeah. know, they look into the food business. They don't. They're not really much chefs. Like I myself, don't cook much. You know, my mm-hmm. father's literally the face of the business. He he makes all the food. He knows how to cook everything up and down, and, and he's trained all his workers to know his recipes, and it's his plate. Like he's on point with it. I'm more of like, okay, what's the next move? How do we market the business? How do we make the business the next big thing? How do we make it that our brand is known by everybody? Mm-hmm. When people think about Bukharian food, they have to think about Ghani only. I don't want it to be any other way. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's the thing. I, I'm, I'm surprised that more of these 
kind of entrepreneur restaurant owners who have the, the type of mentality, not just the cooking mentality, but the business mentality, don't think, hey, why don't I do that? Why don't I make these little stop shops that quickly serve food to people? No one has to be coming into my business. I don't have to worry about any regulations. No matter if COVID hits, people can still get food. Mm -hmm. And I just test the three workers that are inside with me, whatever it may be. And that's what I'm looking into now. I think that that's the next move, and I, and I think that that's a very, has a lot of great potential, you know, because nobody, because think about it, even if I'm telling you that Uber did it, Uber did it, but Uber's never done it kosher. So I think you open up in one of these areas that are extremely, extremely, you know, orthodox populated, extremely, like, you know, Jewish-centric, and you open kosher, dark kitchens, four or five, all kosher, all serving different food, you just want that area. You're sharing, you're sharing, you're sharing your plans, plans, plans. Sharing my dreams, aspirations. Don't worry, bro. Manifest, manifest, man. There's plenty of opportunity. Yeah, 100%. But I think I'm really sharing it because genuinely, I think that's what every restaurant owner right now, any restaurant owner who listens to this, that's what you have to think of. Your next move and how to remove the brick and mortar concept in your business, okay? Because the key to business is to have the lowest overhead possible and still make a shitload of money. And without damaging your quality. Now, when I say lowest overhead, that doesn't mean to start get getting crappy meat or start getting crappy produce. No. That means make it so that you can operate at the lowest possible cost while still keeping quality at the top of standard. And that's it. Well, you, cutting rent costs is this. Yeah. We're talking about Huge. That's, that's what makes that's That's why restaurants have such a hard time. Because 100%. until they build that reputation, until they bring that level of clientele, the overhead is such a big big. And the bigger the place, what, what's going how it happens? The bigger the maintenance. 100%. The bigger the maintenance, man. You have a big Honestly, spot. Honestly, dude, I didn't, you really gave me that perspective. I knew it subconsciously, like I thought about it, I said the bigger restaurants have a harder time. In general, the bigger businesses had an extremely difficult time. Mm -hmm. Because then, I mean, they're, they're, they're stuck. They have all of this money that they need to make. They're not making it. They have all this overhead. And they, they have all, all these people. They pay. Look, there's a lot of big city restaurants that are employing 30, 40, 50 plus, man. Mm -hmm. These guys are all out of work. And these restaurants now, like, yeah, they're trying to transition to something similar to what I'm doing, right? Where it's more to go and everything based, you know, but still our overhead still exists. The only thing that we were able to do is reduce the amount of workers that work with us. I thankfully have kept my entire team. We haven't, anybody who's been with us since beginning of COVID, we've kept them. I'm so, so thankful that we've been able to do that. They're going to be loyal as hell to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank God. Thank God. Honestly, like, it was very difficult, but we pulled through. Many cannot say the same because right. if they did transition, if they did something, this was the only way they were able to do it. They had to lower their overhead, which was, they can't lower their rent, so what do they do? They had to get rid of workers. That Italian guy who was just sitting outside, if you saw, that video went viral. He was sitting outside in the snow, in the blizzard, having outdoor dining with his three employees. He said, I used to have 40 people working for me. Now I'm only down to these four or five guys. And we're not thinking, you know, we're not trying to, we don't want to be empathetic to the restaurant owners. Okay, don't be empathetic to the restaurant owners. Think about the people that work for them. Right. There are so many people that are in the food business, man, that are out of a job, and these people are the, literally the, the main bread in their households. You know, they're the main money makers. These people, my, my, my dad's workers have been with us, so we've been open for 15 years since 2006. All of them have been there 10 years plus. We've watched all their kids grow. That business has helped them support their families, grow their kids, do whatever they have to do for their lives, you know? And if that's what we're doing, and we're not even a big-scale business, I can imagine how these big-scale restaurants had an effect on people's lives. You know, it's, it's really saddening to see that, like, there's so many people I work with every... So I'm in a group chat with restaurant owners, kosher restaurant owners. We get resumes every day. But where are we going to put them? Mm -hmm. 
what are we going to do with them? There's no way for us to help them. We can barely help ourselves. You know? And paying people, listen, other than rent, paying people is your second biggest expense as a restaurant business. Right. It is not, because what's the most valuable thing? A person's time. That person coming there, cooking for you, cleaning, whatever it may be, whatever their occupation is in your restaurant, they're not doing it for free, and they're not doing it for cheap either, and that adds up. If you got one guy you're paying, you know, especially with New York, you have $15 minimum wages, come on. Just do the math on that, you know? It, it, it ends up being ridiculous, especially for some of these big restaurants. So, again, like, it's that really anybody who's watching this and is in that business, you have to, you have to transform right now. This is the time right now. If this year what has I, not told you... What I want to know is... It's such a funny question, but why happen if we do indoor dining, why can't we at least make some sort of, I don't know, put some really, you know, if we have, say, a an Italian-style restaurant, we have these booths. Now, I know that they've put up these, like, plastic walls or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know, put up put up sheetrock if need be. I mean, is that doable? I know it sounds like such a funny statement, but, like, at least if there's some, some walls between each thing. I mean, it sounds like a lot of money, but maybe they can get some government help. So, yeah, like I've, I've, been seeing, I've been seeing businesses doing, like what you said, how they have the plastic in between. Um, I've been thinking that, you know what, it probably we're probably going to go towards the direction. What I would do if I was these big venues and I'm stuck with my big venue, break that shit up now. Meaning, make small party rooms, minimize the space, make a bunch of small party rooms, reserve it. One family per party room. Mm-hmm. Two families per party room. That's an idea. Boom! And utilize your space. And now instead of making a big hall with 200, 300 people, which you can't even have anymore, right. now you've got your 10 parties happening, 20 people each yeah, for make a bunch of small rooms. And you make a bunch of small rooms, and you'll make the same, if not more money, I guarantee. Right. Because then you're still going to have the so same amount of people. Is this something that you've seen anyone doing? Nope. And that's the thing. Why is no one doing that? Because maybe, maybe financially people don't have the money to. After Look, a lot of people, like I said, Raph, you have to realize, yeah, many of us owners, we did not realize this will last us long. We thought, okay, March, we'll give it till June, June, July, and even, well, in, they kept saying that. even in June, like, when, my, when the landlord was offering my mom to walk away, we stayed because, again, we kept thinking things were going to get better. You know what I mean? So, a lot of these owners by now who thought things were going to get better, they already burnt out of cash. Mm-hmm. All their, in case of emergency money, has been paying rent, has been paying this, has been paying that for them to, you know, for that moment that they get on the news, hey, you guys can operate again back to normal, things are back to normal, COVID is gone. Because that's what most of them really thought. Mm-hmm. They didn't think it was going to last this long. So if they're not doing it, I see it as they're not doing it because of this. Because of the fact that, that they've already burned out. They have no money on their head. Most of them right now are trying to figure out how can they leave their business and get money from doing it. You know. And right now you have to ask yourself, who the heck is going to buy a restaurant during a pandemic? Nobody do. <laughs> Nobody. The only way they'll do it is if they have the money to do so and have a very, very... Like, thought out plan. Thought out plan. Like they see your place and they say, hey, I know I can do this and this with it, and that's why it's worth it for me. Right. But in reality, it's not happening. Dude, people with real money are not going to really be investing in the restaurant business. 100%. They're going to be investing. Real estate. Real estate's the way to go. Exactly. <laughs> no, especially here down south. They're going to be investing in things that have a much higher rate of return. They have, there's much more of a chance that they'll bring a profit. And there's, yeah, boy, they're not going to do that. And, and hey, don't, don't get it wrong. Restaurant business, listen, if done correctly... If done correctly, you are chilling. You'd be surprised at the ROI. I'll be very frank with you. I've seen guys who have killed it in this business, have been able to open a new location every single year, have been shining, and, and it's because their concept was on point, their quality was on point, they knew what they were doing from the start, mm-hmm. they put money where they needed to put it, and that's it. They let it ride. And it worked, it paid off for them. So I agree with you, but at the same time, like 
just from the few things that I spitball here, I think if the right person just put their mind to that and had the money to do it, they'd be good. Right. You know, or even like a current restaurant owner just put their mind to it, thought about how can I adapt, do it. Like I, I have a friend, his dad has a steakhouse in the city. You know what else, by the way? You know what I thought of? Mm-hmm. What else might be a good option is to maybe try to do private, uh, like private chef things. So for like Donna Orly, if you had some of your employees, and that's what I was about to get into. So um, to go to families and just make the, you can wear a mask the whole time. Yeah. Wear gloves for sure. And just and, and make the food for sure. To, and this is another way to market. To each, you know, every time you go to an event, say you have, you know, a pretty well-off or wealthy family. It doesn't even have to be wealthy, but if they're pretty well-off, and you have a chef come to make food for say fifty people, whatever it is, say it's ten people, because no one's doing more, no one's sitting mm-hmm. with more than ten people. God forbid. So ten to twenty, ten to twenty, ten to twenty, ten to twenty, normal cash. Okay. So, um, that, but that's a great, you know, and this way you don't have to worry. What what they do is up to them. At least from your end on the restaurant's end, you don't have to worry about. It's a good point you bring up, but listen, let me give you a good scenario. We have a lot of guys doing this in Queens. Mm-hmm. But what's the problem? These guys are coming in as chefs who are offering this. They have no overhead. They don't have a restaurant business behind them. Mm-hmm. They're saying, hey, I'll come. I'll cook everything for you. They're offering a price $20, $30 below a person. And they can because they don't have a business behind them to, you know, to... Well, I'm saying there's an opportunity to charge a lot of money, though. Not really. Again, that's what I'm trying to explain to you. There isn't because in the end of the day, there's people that are trying to push out the same food for twenty dollars less a person because they don't have a restaurant they have to pay for it behind it. Another concept but that came up. But it's the same quality. So I'm saying it depends, so again, on, your, it depends, depends on your it depends. If you're if you're advertising to a wealthier market, they have the money. Oh yeah, of course. But then again, no matter how wealthy you are, you're always willing to save. That's just how I look at it. I I, I know I've seen that openly. The way I see it though, uh, another thing that I've seen large restaurants attempt, I had a friend that, uh, like I said, his father had a steakhouse in the city and we spoke about it. He wanted to get pop-ups going in business. You know, he wanted to do pop-ups within the restaurant, you know, because they have such big space, such big kitchens, but they're not using it. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to have different restaurants in different areas pop up and, you know, give a little something over there for him and for, uh, for the restaurant for using the space. You know what I mean? That's also a great idea to go into the whole pop-up concept. If you know that you're, you know, you have too much space in your business, you're not using all that space, Go ahead, give it to another restaurant, let them do what they gotta do, let them pay you. Sit mm-hmm. back, relax, and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You know? Another thing I saw that I was really impressed by is that a lot of these big city restaurants realize that their prices are just too ridiculous. Nobody, because when you're going to sit in right dining, that price that you're paying is not just the food, it's the experience. Okay? If you're taking it to go, you're not paying for that experience. So, a lot of these big, big steakhouses, restaurants, what they did was they gave a reduced to go menu. And from that reduced to go menu, they're able to attract more clientele because now the clientele said, okay, now I can feed my family of four for $120 instead of how back then when I used to go to the steakhouse, I used to feed my family of four for three, four, five hundred bucks, whatever it may be, plus. You know what I mean? Um, so that's also something else that I've seen people do that, you know, either take their space, utilize it, like we said, make private rooms or, you know, get another restaurant to come in, mm-hmm. take that space over and pay you a little bit of uh, money or change, adapt, make a menu that's completely com- customer friendly. Make it so that it's value friendly, you know, because you're in the end of the day, you're, you're, people hear your name all these years, they're used to going to you and paying, 12, you know, two, three, four hundred, whatever, maybe dollars just to eat by you. Now you're showing them a more value way. They're going to support you through this. They're not just going to say, hey, you know, because in the end of the day, what these customers want to see is you're working with them. If you're showing that you're trying to be more valuable for them, but at the same time, you're not destroying yourself as a business, you know, because you still have bills to pay, that's the best. That's, that's, that's a win-win. Is that a question? Yeah, because during this time you're giving them something that they can afford and you're giving yourself some business which you need. You know? 
This is why, by the way, it's most important more than any other time to support the people in your community. And that's why it's so important to have a community. 100%. So I think, you know, so for communities that haven't been as strong and haven't been as connected, if you have an uncle that's a barber and you haven't been going and you've been going to someone else, unless your uncle absolutely sucks, we don't have to worry about that. Bukharian <laughs> community. Bukharian community barbers are on point. My, 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 my barber here is Bukharian from New York. Manny, shout out to you, bro. Manny! I know him as well. I know him as well. We went to high school together. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Papa went to him too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we went to high school yeah, together. Yeah, but Pablo goes to right away, like, you know, of course I know Intan. Yeah, we go way back. He gives the best Great best. guy. Great guy. Awesome guy. Yeah. But 100%. So, so, but that's like, you have to support the people next to you, and there's so much more of a likelihood of everything working out. 100%. Whether it's supporting them financially, also supporting them emotionally, giving them support. If they're going through a hard time, make sure. Dude, how's your business going? Yeah, it's going. You know, is you having some time? You having a hard time? Maybe, maybe we can do this. This. this Everyone, now. you know, a lot of people. I'm sorry for cutting you off. A lot of people believe that like the help that you give to others has to be financially. It's not true. Mm -hmm. So many people would be happy with some emotional support, mental support, whatever it is. So many would be happy if you just walked into that business or whatever. Maybe bought even one product. It doesn't matter. It's principle yeah. that matters. It's, it's not it's finances. It's it's the I, it's the what matters most to that person is the thought that so that person thought about them, you know? Mm -hmm. Not that, oh, did that person give me money? Why couldn't they give me money, you know? Because everyone now thinks that, oh, if I'm helping, I have to help financially. That's not necessarily true. There's so many people going through other things. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, it's huge to just be that person and say, hey, how are you? How's the business going? How are you doing? You know, how's life? Mm -hmm. You know, those questions, I feel, are really more helpful nowadays than to say, Hey, um, I, you know, I don't, you know, do you need money? You know, they, they, no, because not everyone can, not everyone can give it, bro. Yeah, hundred percent. So. so they get hesitant. They get hesitant to even say anything because they're like, oh, what if I do start a conversation and the person needs something and I can't give it? You know, but again, like we're, we're discussing right now, there's so many ways you can help. There's so many ways that you can, um, you know, give back to people. Like, and that's one thing I make very, very important um, when we do these out of town deliveries. My food concept is very original. I don't get in the way of other businesses. Mm -hmm. There's. Like, so when I'm going to New Jersey, there's nobody in New Jersey serving Bukharian food. Because if there was, I wouldn't be doing that. I would feel wrong, you know, because I'm taking away their local support and trying to give them to myself, you know. So one you thing... You really I, wouldn't do it? I mean, competition is, is inevitable. Competition is inevitable, I agree with you. But listen, in the end of the day, that person made the effort to open there. And I'm not going to do it. So what radius? I mean, like, how big... So let's say there's a guy in Tina. Let's say Tinek has its Bukharian Guy. Exactly. So, so, I'm so, you, so you're not going to do TNEC at all. TNEC doesn't so, have it though. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, if, so they did, if they did, I would feel. Yeah, I wouldn't feel so. So then you because, would say it or whatever it was. Because of the reason that, like I said, if they put the effort pre-COVID to put a place there, they put the effort. Yeah, I they would respect to that. Bro. You know what I mean, man? Like I'm, I, I wouldn't have felt right. It's the fact that we are very original in our food concept that I can say, okay, I'm going there. I'm going there comfortably, and I'm not affecting anybody. I'm my own type of food. You make your own. You can be. You can be pizza. You can be Chinese. You can be whatever you want. You don't. That's not part. That's not the meat culture dishes that we make. The plov, the monte, the sal. That's not what we make. You know what I mean? So that's one thing I'm happy that I, I get to do this. You know, because right now we're giving advice about doing takeout. I want to say, you know, do it, but don't. You know, try not to compete with the local places because the local places. When this is all over, you know for a fact there's chances that you're not going to be coming back, but they're still going to be there. And if you ruin it for them, they ain't going to be there anymore. And those places are going to be thinking, oh, wow, what did I do? You know, and I've seen it happen because, you know, you, you go on Facebook, you see other businesses that are raved about, right? And then you see that they're coming to your area, right? But you have another sandwich spot in the area. You have another, that type of food in the area, but you don't go to them. 
You instead order from this spot, even though this spot is three to four dollars more. But they're delivering to the area. Woo. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm just like, uh, about that. Because it's like, in the end of the day, you know for a fact if COVID was not here, you would have never thought of coming to this area. And this person is still here. This person is struggling every single day to keep their business alive. And you're, you know, you're kind of in a way trying to take away from that. You know what I mean? I respect that. Yeah. No, listen, thankfully, uh, what I took away from this time, I mean, there's a lot I took away from it because I can tell you point blank, my social life has definitely diminished. And I, and, I, and I understand the reality that in order to get what you want, in order to be successful, to not to just on, on a mediocre level, to really get what you wanted out of what you put in, you, you're going to need to give up time. So I've definitely given up a lot of my social life. And sometimes it's a little bit, sometimes it's a little nerve-wracking because I, I do want to see friends that come here, but I, I really don't make a lot of time for people. I think that this is just what I need to do right now in order to guarantee that I'm more than, uh, more than financially and emotionally stable for COVID. Because let's be honest, my friends aren't paying my bills. Yeah. yeah. Like let's let's just not let's not sugarcoat this. And I don't want, and I would never let them. I would never let them. I would. I just can't do that. So so that's something that I think about. It's just the absolute need to work hard during this time. And if you feel you need to take some days off, listen, I'm not telling people how to live, but. You know, we all need our time off, so Saturdays are, you know, Shabbat is my time off. And, I, you know, so I don't burn out. That's, how, that's what I've decided to do. And I, ironically, you know, I still do other things, but, um, you know, as far as, so as far as that's concerned, I think it's important to work extra hard what you need to, what you need to do, because as we see, the government's not going to do it for you. Another thing that I, that I understand is the, the need for community. Mm -hmm. to be around your family and friends, to support their businesses. Instead of going to someone you might like a little more that's not in your family, try to go to the person that you're close to. Yeah. Because the more you help the people in your immediate circle, or even a bit of your outer circle, the more it'll, I think it'll end up coming back to you anyway, but this way you can at least guarantee that that bubble is, is still there. Yeah. Everyone's, everyone's holding each other's hands, you know what I mean? Um, you know, and there, there are a lot of things, but just the need to adapt, to hold off from those immediate pleasures and immediate satisfactions for now, so you so you can you can keep your head above water until we're out of this. Until we're out of this. And, and that's the, uh, two great points you made there, Liz, and I agree that you have to right now, as much as it's great to have a lot of friends, as much as it's great to be a social person. I've been a social person all my life. I've, I've met people all over the state. I've, I've, I've been, I love interacting, I love networking, mm -hmm. but I've never seen more of a time that I've been more tunnel vision, more like, I gotta get you done. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I have to get stuff done. I love all of you, I care about all of you, but um, there's a pandemic going on. There's a lot of stuff going on, and, and you know we all gotta work hard. We all gotta work hard. I, you know, like I said, I got a family to take care of. I got my daughter to take care of now, and that's like the things that I'm putting my mind on right now. You know, but still, like you said, it's also also extremely important to take that moment to say, okay, how's my buddy Phil doing? How's my buddy Irgul doing? You know, and, and giving them the time of day as well, because at the end of the day, you don't know what can happen today. They can be here tomorrow. They can't. I've seen that firsthand happen with people in my life. And you know, also, in the, also the same thing. Like you need them. You know, the same way that every. I feel like, especially in one thing I love about us as Jews. Oh God, I love this about the Jewish community. That unity, that sense of unity, mm -hmm. is the most beautiful thing in the world. And I see, like right now, there's a, a lot of people uh, in different cultures replicating that same unity, and it's beneficial. Like that's what it's been. That's all. Like that's how it's always been with us Jews. We've always just had that togetherness. And even right now, during the pandemic, I think that's what truly shines. You know, it's that yes. fact of that togetherness 
Oh, you need something, brother? You need something? I got you. You need something? I got you. There was, like, like I said, there are Jews, believe me, there are Jews struggling very, very, very much. And, you know, the, the, for instance, the homeless rate in the Jewish community is slim to none for this reason. We're not going to allow ourselves, some of us are going through a really hard time, but we're not going to allow ourselves to, you know, to get to a point where there's just absolutely nothing. And I, I know there are Jews that are pretty much, you know, I'm sure a ton of dead and are having an enormously difficult time, but, uh, you know, I'm sure if it came down to it, well, yeah. they have people that will help, you the know. community is something, something else, man. They, the type of unity, the type of strength, the person cannot even know you. But it's just like a certain like connection. I'm sure you understand. Too. You know, it's a, I could do, you know, of course I understand. You know what I mean, bro? You go somewhere and, and you just you find out like you know you go somewhere and you meet a complete stranger, but you find out he's Jewish. It's just that there's some type of bond there. There's something there. It's unexplainable. Like I said, every time I'm in an airport, man. Huh? Every time I'm in an airport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm always looking for like the Jewish. Notice, <laughs> and it's funny because I'll go to somebody I would never normally go to. <laughs> like I would just go to some extremely like ultra orthodox guy. They're like, I wouldn't not sit and talk to, but like, you know, I'm more traditional, you know, I don't know how often we communicate or whatever. But if I see him and I'm sitting like a couple of seats down, you know, waiting for the flight or whatever it is, I'll be like, hey, how's it going? Where are you from? I'll be like, oh, I'm from New York, me too, but well, we'll just strike up a conversation. 100%. Automatically because he's Jewish. No other reason. There's just something there. I just, I, even like right now we're talking about it, I just can't even explain it. There's just something like, you know what, me and you first met, I go, instant play, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just something there. There's, there's a sense of like, Unity in the sense of like, okay, uh, even though I don't know much about you, I'll look out for you, just like you'll look out for me, you know. And, and that's like goes back to what you said. That's why, you know, even though like some many are struggling, thankfully that unity exists to a point where they can somehow, some way, you know, attempt to keep themselves their head above water and, and attempt to you know survive throughout all this, you know. Yeah, yeah I, I'd say as a group we're very well adapted, and a lot of us are like I said are going through a hard time. But if we had to, if we had to really bundle together and and just create, you know, we already have. We have our own ambulances, we have our own hospitals, we have our own everything. We have our own everything. So we, 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 we have our own ecosystem. We don't need, we really don't need the government to really do much for us. We've, we have everything we need. Yeah. And um, it's the same mentality that more people need to take on. You have to have that ecosystem within their communities. And once they build that equivalent ecosystem within their communities, they'll see the difference right away. Financially, emotionally, mentally, as a community, as a whole, not as an individual, mm -hmm. as a whole, you will see the difference, how your community will pick up, how the people in your community will pick up, what their results will be in life, what they will end up doing, their outcomes, mm -hmm. all that will change mm -hmm. for the better. Mm -hmm. Because there's that sense of if I fall, X, Y, and Z will, you know, somehow, some way, try to pick me up. Or if I don't have this, X, Y, and Z has this organization or this society or this type of group of people that are here to help me for this specific thing, you know? So an interesting chain I thought about when we're going to wrap this up in a minute is in order to help somebody else, you have to be in a good position to help them. That's what I believe. Uh, that's me. You know, it's, it's very important to have a, a stability and, and, and happiness in your life to be able to give to others. Mm -hmm. Because then, you know, you don't... No, that's really all. That's as simple as yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, once, and once, you, once you're in, in that place and you're able to give to other people, you can start to, to expand this, this idea. And then, you know, once... The Jewish community has enough strength and, and ability to give that they can extend that outward to the outside community, and this is you know this is a way for all of us to extend. So I, I mean, I interviewed this guy Shlemy a few episodes ago. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, they he he talks about what the Hasidic community in in the tri-state area does, mm -hmm. 
and many often that community extends their, their hand to, to non-Jews as well. So they have uh, Hatzalah, which is the, the Jewish ambulance. ambulance. They many times go on calls for non-Jewish people. Many times. I used to work at a place, and they literally they literally came on a call. I, first of all, for the record, I called nine one one three times, mm -hmm. and the Hatzalah came faster than nine one one. Because they're, they're they right. always do. It's, it was insane, and literally saved a woman's life who was about to go into diabetic coma. It was bonkers, and I, I like you mentioned it. I just had to say, like, if there's one time where I realized how powerful they are, or like how great they are as an organization in helping people, Jews and non-Jews. It was that time, man. Literally called 911 three times, and, and when I called them, they beat them to it. So they yeah. got a call later, and they came first. I think Hatzalah is probably our, our most successful organization. <laughs> it's one thing we really about, right? Because it's life-saving. More than anything else, it's saving lives. Yeah, I, they're, they're known. I used, since I was a kid, I, I, I've been like in love with the organization. One of my friends, one of my friend's fathers, um, shout out to DJ and his father, Mayor. His father's been at the top of, of Hatzella and Flatbush. I mean, he's, you know, he's known all over Flatbush and you know, he's, he's been doing it since I was a little kid. I know, I know DJ, so we were kids, friends since we were kids. He's been, you know, his dad's been, been at the top of the chain for as long as I can remember, since I was a little, a little man. So, and he's been doing it for free, volunteering. Yeah, man, they did really it's put up time for this. Something I can't say I've done, so it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of respect. Yeah, you know, so a lot of people don't realize that. By the way, you know, the general person actually doesn't realize that the people in Hansala work for free. They just they think that you know, there's something going on. But no, no, all these people that you see, uh, I know a lot of people see Hasidic Jews in like vests or like cars with sirens. These are all volunteers. These are all people that dedicate their time to protect not only you know the Jewish people in the community, but everybody in the community. You know, um, before we wrap up, can I give shoutouts to you? I want to give a shout out to my wife, um, Gabby, most important. You know, I think like throughout 2020, she really has held me down as, as, a, as a wife and, you know, the whole having a baby and everything, like we were really hand in hand in that. And um, yeah, you know, I, I love you a lot and I just wanted to give her a shout out. That's like most important. Everybody else, you know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. um, the wifey gets the main shout out. Wifey sure. gets the main shout out, guys. It, uh, honestly, you know, nothing like being married. And of course, like as we spoke, it's always about with the right girl. And, you know, nothing like being a dad, but listen, the best part about being a dad is to be involved as a dad. If you're just making the kid and you're not doing anything, you are not going to enjoy the experience of being a father. It's just a straight fact. I only was able to build my connection with my kid only after I dedicated the time and I said, okay, let me change her diaper. Let me feed her. Let me that. That's what made me love her. You know, we're not like the woman carrying them for nine months. There's no bond there. People don't realize that when they're born, men don't get that instant bond like women do. We got to build that shit. And the way you build it is to give that time, give that dedication, take care of the child, and, and be there for your partner. You know, I'm and take that. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I had a friend that told me that, and I had because in the beginning I was really like, I don't, you know, I don't. Like, everyone said there's supposed to be some special feeling, but I'm not feeling it. I truly wasn't. I'm like, hey, I have a kid, but what's next? What do I do with it? You know. Mm -hmm. And when I started getting involved, you know, like right now, my when she when she goes to daycare, I'm the one, you know, taking her. I'm the one waking up to her, changing her in the morning. When I got more involved, that's when I was able to say, okay, wow, this is. My kid, mm -hmm. like I'm actually bathing, I'm actually taking care of it. I'm not just, I ain't just make it. I'm doing something to feel that bond, feel that connection. Now when she look, you know, like now when she's tired, she starts to yell at anyone who's holding her until they give me to her because there's been times that I put her to sleep, you know. And so she goes in my arms, she goes, ah, ah. I'm like, okay, you're tired. Okay, I got. Okay, okay we got it. Let's go put her to. Sleep. You know, and that's what you build. You will not get that. I don't. I don't care what anyone says. If there's some way I wanted to close this off, I know completely. Like. 
away from our surrounding stuff. If there's one way I want to close this, I want to say for anybody who's going to have a baby, who's going to have a kid, whatever it is, do people want to say, oh, kids ruin marriages, babies ruin... No, it's not true, okay? What ruins it is the lack of effort that a partner puts towards the child, okay? A lot of times, uh, and I'm not trying to put my men down, but some men do really not put the effort, mm -hmm. and then they expect relationships to be peaches and cherries, and that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, she's stressing out, working hard to keep this baby fed and taken care of. You're not doing much, and what you do want things to be perfect. You want her to be happy. You want, you know, you, you want her to be relaxed. You want her to, you know, be happy with you. What? Mm -hmm. Also, it has to be, um, you know, so put that effort, put that work in, make, the, make it very mutual, make it that you're willing to do just as much for the kid as she is. You know, don't make it as you're the mother, you know, don't have that Jewish mentality of like, oh, you're a mom, be a mom. I'll be with that. I have to go work. Really understand that. You know, yeah. don't do that. Be the guy that's involved. Be involved with your kid, and I promise you, it'll help you so much in your relationship. Because at the times that you guys do get a break, it's not only a break for her. Now it's a break for you, and now you get to feel and understand what she feels when she's stressing the child, when she's stressing the feeding, when she's waking up in the middle of the night and you didn't want to do it. You know, you're not gonna feel that. You're not gonna know what that is until you take up the responsibility and do it yourself. You know. Yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to change your diaper, bro. Yeah. I never, yeah, I don't know. No, there's people that really like, and, and listen, some of you guys are genuinely busy. Some of you guys literally work all day. I understand. Mm -hmm. But that does not excuse giving the time of day to the kid. I don't care what you tell me. Like, if there's one thing I learned growing up, because my dad was very busy in this restaurant business, I want to be the type to dedicate time to my kids. You know, somehow, some way, no matter how busy I get, I want to be able to do it. If, if anything has taught us, if COVID has taught us anything else, it's that too. You know, genuinely enjoy the time you have with people because one day it might not be there anymore and then you're going to be like, oh shit, I didn't really have time, so much time to spend with X, Y, and Z. Oh, I remember X, Y, and Z called me last week and now this week they're not here anymore. And that shit has happened, you know? So, yeah. No, this was great. Well, this is great. Me, bro. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'm very, very deep episode. One of my deeper episodes. <laughs> no, so, thank you for having me, man. This was really, this was really a great experience, and and I, like I said, I really look forward to seeing everything that you're gonna accomplish from this because you do, guys. If you haven't re seen his other episodes, he puts his heart and soul into every single podcast he makes. You know, we were in constant contact. If I was nervous or anything, he's like, "Oh, calm down." You know, so he puts his heart and soul into this. You know, to really give you guys as viewers the best experience ever. So I really hope you guys enjoy this episode and everything else he has on his page. Thank you, Ethan. Of course, man. Thank you so much, bro. Of course, brother. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed. This has been another episode of Soothing Semantics. Bomb episode, mind you. Love this episode. <laughs> it was awesome, dude. There will be, as always, episodes every Monday, so make sure to stay tuned. Yep. And stay subscribe. Tuned next subscribe, subscribe. Thank you. <laughs> like, subscribe, and share. Like, subscribe, and share. Peace, guys.